Well, hello, Severn. Isn't this a magnificent evening? It's the first I can remember where the humidity is below 50%. After all the rain that we had, it's really welcomed to, uh, to feel this weather tonight. I wanted to uh, welcome you here tonight. I'm Mark Rossi. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at Severn Covenant Church, and I have the distinct pleasure this evening to open the word with you as we continue in our study through the book of Acts. If I ever get my notes straight. You know, we decided to do this series through the book of Acts directly as a result of COVID-19. You know, I think that you could all agree with me that church has never been the same since the pandemic came, and I think you realize that it will never be the same once it leaves. So we picked this series because we wanted to, to relook at every single thing that we were doing and compare it to what was most important to the early church leaders who founded Christianity and make sure that we kept the main thing, the main thing going forward. Amen. So for the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at two uniquely different conversions of two uniquely different men. Now, there were some similarities. Both were very well educated. Both were prominent. Both were well known. Both had power and position. But the similarities stopped there because they both came from very different backgrounds. The first was a man from Ethiopia. You know, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ryan described him as the CFO, the chief financial officer over the queen of Ethiopia's treasury because he had control of all of it. He was a man with power and influence. He was a man of prominence. But he was also a man who was on his way to Jerusalem to pray, knowing full well that he would never be accepted there because he also was a eunuch. This man was also a man that after his conversion, after Philip ran after him and after right there on the, on the road where he was, they found some water, he was converted, he was baptized. He's a man that was never ever again mentioned in the rest of the Bible. Now, the second conversion, the one we learned about last week, was also a very prominent man. This man was a Jewish Pharisee named Saul. Now, a Pharisee was a very learned man, probably had the first five books of the Bible memorized. He was a man who was well-known and very well-respected among religious leaders. And this particular man named Saul made it his life's mission to crush this new missionary movement that we today call Christianity. The people, the early believers of the church feared him a lot because he would, he would not only chase them down, he would not only hunt them down, he would either imprison them or he would um, have them stoned simply for uttering the name of Jesus Christ. A man who, though, after his conversion, did 
a complete about-face. Instead of killing Christians, Saul, who later became known as Paul, went on to lead the most successful missionary campaign the Christian world has ever known. And because of him, because of him, God inspired him through the Holy Spirit to write most of what we now call the New Testament so that we today could know the truth and know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to look at a third conversion, that of a Roman centurion whose name was Cornelius. Now, this conversion story really grabbed my attention when I was preparing for this message because when I read through it, I noticed that the author, Luke, dedicated all of chapter 10 and more than half of chapter 11 to tell us about this conversion. 66 verses in all. Now, don't get worried. I'm not going to read all 66 verses tonight. I'll leave that to you for later. But... But, but this was a man that I think we're going to learn tonight had a major impact in your life and in my life. I just was really curious. Why would God spend so much time? What was so special about this man that he chose to spend so much time telling us about him? So let's jump right into the text. I'm reading from the book of Acts chapter 10. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision, an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, looking intently at him, he became afraid and said, well, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke with him, he had gone. He called to two of his household slaves and a devout soldier, who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now the text changes because it says, the next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the household, uh, housetops about noon. Then he became hungry and wanted to eat. But when they were preparing something, he went into, this, into a visionary state. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, no, Lord, Peter replied, for I have never eaten anything common and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, you must not call common. This happened three times, and then the object was taken up to heaven. So this story goes on to tell us that Paul was really perplexed by this vision. You know, while he was thinking about it, while he was just trying to figure out what was going on, the men that Cornelius sent to him knocked on the door. 
the voice, a voice came to Peter again and said, you know what? Don't worry about this. I know the rules, but these men have been sent by God. Let them in and go with them. So let's pick up in verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius, uh, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter helped him up and said, stand up. I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went on and found that many had come there together. Peter said to them, you know it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate or to visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. That is why I came without objection when I was sent for. So I ask, why did you send for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this hour at three in the afternoon, I was praying at my house. Just then a man in dazzling robes stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. Therefore, I immediately sent for you and you did the right thing in coming. So we're all present before God to hear everything that you've been commanded by the Lord. Then Peter began to speak. Now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. This is God's word for us today. You know, as I said um, earlier, a lot, Luke tells us a whole lot about this conversion of this man named Cornelius. And I believe as we take a closer look at this, we're going to see a lot of things that are applicable to us some 2,000 years later. So the first few verses tell us exactly who this man was. It says, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many terrible deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. Three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision, an angel of God who came to him and said to him, Cornelius. So first of all, first of all, we learned that Cornelius lived in Caesarea. It was a town on the shore of the Mediterranean. It was a port city, and everybody knows in those times, port cities were very important because they were intersections for commerce. People coming to and from that area, coming from Rome over to Palestine, would have gone through Caesarea. But it wasn't just any port city. It wasn't just any thriving metropolis. It was the center, the capital of the Roman government in Palestine. It was set up in 13 B.C., it was the seat of Roman power in that region of the empire. It was the place where later Paul will be imprisoned, waiting for him to be his case to be appealed to Caesar when he went to Rome. To the Jews, Caesarea was Rome. Now, in case you don't know it, Jews hated Rome. And they hated everything that it stood for because they were a conquered. 
They were an occupied nation that had been waiting for hundreds of years for their long-awaited Messiah to come and overthrow their oppressors in some gloriously fought battle that was going to reestablish the prominence of the kingdom of King David and his son, King Solomon. So, first of all, we learn that he was from Caesarea, the center of the Roman government. Secondly, we, na- we know, learned that this man's name was Cornelius. So by his name, we know he wasn't Jewish. But you know what? He also wasn't any Roman soldier either. This man, we're told, is a centurion in the Italian regiment. So basically, he was an officer who had command of, uh, of a company of soldiers in the Roman army whose total reason to exist was to keep the order over the people they occupied. Now, Cornelius, you you were reading a lot about that he prayed to God and he was generous to the Jews, but Cornelius most definitely would have carried out his duties as a Roman soldier, as a centurion, if he was going to keep that post. But, But we are told that he was also a compassionate man. He was a man who feared God, a man who prayed to God, a man who was generous to the Jews, he was prayed, he was paid to rule over, even though most of them, regardless of what he tried to do, would resent him deeply. Now, don't get caught up in the fact that the Bible says that Cornelius prayed to God, because Romans in those days were polytheists. They prayed to all kinds of gods there it's not far-fetched to believe that especially if he was a generous man if he was a compassionate man if he wanted to win the favor of the people that he was he was there to to police that he would also pray to their god as well because he wanted to find favor with them what's really surprising when we look at this story is that god the almighty god The only God, the creator of everything, took notice of Cornelius. And he decided to send an angel to give him some very unexpected orders. Orders that, as it turned out, opened Cornelius, opened a door for Cornelius that led to an opportunity of a lifetime for both Cornelius and for every single one of us who were not born Jewish. The angel basically tells Cornelius to send for Peter and invite him to his house to hear everything that the Lord has commanded Peter to tell him. And Peter, I mean, and Cornelius obeys. So this brings me to my first idea today. I only have two. That God opens the door. We choose. We choose to enter. God opens the door. We choose to enter. Nothing that happened to Cornelius from this point in the story until the end would have been possible had Cornelius not chosen to act on his invitation. You may say, Mark, you don't know that. Someone else could have come across his path later in history and preached the gospel to him. But if you had lived in those times as a Gentile, even worse, if you had lived as a powerful Roman centurion Gentile. You would have known all too well that you would never have been welcomed into the house of a Jew. 
No Jew would give you a seat at his table if you were a Gentile. It was against the Jewish spiritual law. You see, the Jews had lots of laws, lots of laws. These laws that told them how to act and what to eat and who they could associate with. There were 613 laws alone in what we call the Mosaic Law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. But to these laws, to protect the people so that they would never break the laws, though everybody does, they put other laws around those laws that were recorded in the Mishnah and other places. And they put uh, lots and lots of procedures and lots and lots of traditions, like a fence around the Mosaic law to protect people. Because if, if I could only, only break the one on the outside, maybe I won't break the law that leads to death. So several of those laws, several of those laws precluded Jews from entering the house of a Gentile, let alone that of a Roman. Doing that would defile them. It basically would make them unclean. They called it, we saw in the scriptures, ritually unclean. They wouldn't be worthy, worthy to go near the temple. The passage, this passage of scripture tells us that Cornelius had a good reputation with the Jews, meaning that they, I, I'm guessing the Jews at least thought he was fair. The passage says that he was even generous, but he was still a Gentile and even worse, he was a Roman. He knew all too well how impossible it was going to be for this man named Simon Peter to come to visit him, let alone that of a Roman. To enter the house of a Gentile, let alone that of a Roman. Doing that would defile them. Doing that would make them virtually unclean. It took great humility for Cornelius to obey that messenger. Against all odds, knowing that his request violated the very Jewish law. But he had no idea that God had already plowed the field with Peter so that a door would be open to him that up to this point in his life had been nailed shut for him and for all Gentiles. All he needed to do was to walk through it. How many of you have felt that invitation from the Lord? How many of you have felt that urge to let go of everything that, that you've been that that you've been doing that urge that everything that you've been trying to try and true happiness prosperity but you were just too ashamed by what you've done in your past or or maybe what you're doing in your present to believe that it could even be possible for you how many of you took a chance tonight and drove to this field or, or tuned in online, hoping to hear something, hoping to hear something that might speak to that urge that you've been feeling to find something more in this life than the empty promises of satisfaction through self-gratification and worldly prosperity that our culture promises but never, never provides. I'm sure some of you have thought I'll never be accepted by God. I'm never going to be accepted by these people. You may believe you're just too far gone 
to turn over a new leaf. You may feel that no matter how hard you try, you will never have a seat at the table. Well, that brings me to my second and final idea tonight, that waiting on the other side of that open door is a seat at his table. This man, Cornelius, not only took the first step and obeyed this messenger against all odds, but after hearing the gospel preached by Peter, he repented of his sins. And by choosing to take the next step to walk through that door that God opened for him, not only was Cornelius saved that day, but the Bible tells us that his whole family and all of the people that he invited there that day to hear what Peter had to say were saved. That day, they moved from a life devoid of purpose to one filled with a new purpose. No longer defined as a Jew or a Gentile, as male or female or a slave or free, but as children of the living God. A new creation through a new found relationship with their risen Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what? I believe Jesus is opening that door to you tonight. He is offering you a seat at his table. All you need to do is to respond to his invitation. You know, whether Cornelius was the first uh, Gentile ever converted to Christianity, it's debated by theologians. But God specifically chose to record this 66-verse account as the turning point in the early church where the believers opened up the gospel that was only for the Jewish people to the third ring in that great commission. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, we learned early on in this series that, that Jesus gave every believer a commission in his army. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. For those of you tonight who are believers, we have a responsibility to carry out that command from Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't come into the world to replace the Jewish faith. My goodness, he said, no, I came to fulfill every word written about me in the Old Testament. But more importantly, Jesus came to establish a new covenant. This time, not only with the children of Israel, but with everyone who would believe in him and put their faith in him and surrender to his perfect will for their lives. You know, when Peter's eyes were open to this truth, he says, now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. You know, I rarely quote from the translation called the message for for teaching, 
But I particularly love the way that everyday language presents Peter's revelation. It says, Peter fairly exploded with his good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is opened. What Peter learned that day is that Jesus didn't replace the Jewish club, only opened the people of one race with another Christian club that was equally off limits to everybody who didn't measure up. Jesus came not to close a door, but to open one. And it's the only door that leads to salvation. It's the only door that leads to a fulfilled life here on earth. And it's the only door that leads to everlasting life in the life to come. Yes, the way to salvation is exclusive. There is only one way in. But membership is open to everyone who believes in him. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference to him who you are or where you're from. And if you're ready and you want God and you're ready to do as he says, the door is open to you. A seat at his table has been set for you with your name on it. He's cleared all the obstacles for you. The choice is up to you to respond to his open invitation. Let me pray for us this evening. Jesus, I thank you so much for the people that you brought here tonight, whether in person on this beautiful piece of land that you gave us so many years ago to be used in this way during this crazy time that we live in. Or for those who tuned in online, either watching or listening. For the believers among us, I pray for a renewed sense of passion, a renewed sense of purpose to every believer here that we would realize the gift that we've been given and want to tell everybody within our circle about it, whether it be our family or our friends or our neighbors or maybe even the stranger at Safeway or Home Depot. Lord, give us a new passion. Give us a new passion. And how about the technology that we have available to us, Lord? Thank you that we can reach so many people through this technology. May we be bold in its use. I really especially want to pray for those tonight who are standing right at your wide open door. Right there, right now, right here where you are standing. If that is you tonight, if that is you, I pray, I pray that you would pray with me. Pray with me as you walk across the threshold of that door and you take your seat at his table. Dear Jesus, I now understand that I don't need to fix myself before I come to you. I don't need to have come from the right side of the railroad tracks or have achieved some rung on a ladder. I don't need to know all your wisdom and truth right now. 
All I need to do is to repent. All I need to do is to believe that your son Jesus died for my sins and that he rose from the dead so that I could live a brand new life, an everlasting life as part of his family. Jesus, I repent today. I believe in you. And I believe that you rose from the dead for me so that I could live with you eternally. And I believe that you have set a place for me at your table. Thank you, Lord, for welcoming into your family. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be part of the work that you're doing in this life. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would help me as I grow in my relationship with you each and every day. You know, if that's you tonight, if you prayed that prayer here on this field or in your living room at home, we'd like to know about it. Come talk to me or come reach us. You can reach us at www.severn.cc and we will get you in touch with someone who will help you with your journey. Welcome to the family. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Amen. Amen.